This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. I have a message that has been affecting my life speaking to me. And I really hope that this is going to be something that will impact your heart also. Now, I had never seen this before. Growing up in church, I, I'd never seen this. Uh, Sunday school since the, you know, the, I guess the day they first could put me in Sunday school. I mean, my whole life, I'd never seen what I'm going to share with you. But some things in life are, are, are worth uh, digging out and finding. So it's not one of those easy just laying there nuggets. It's something we're going to have to go look for. But let's bow our heads and ask God to help us find that today. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your presence. Lord, I pray that you will speak to us and you will give us clarity. And God, that the truth that we're after today from your word will settle in the hearts of those who are here, those watching, those listening. And Lord, that there will be a time of grace, that is unparalleled in the lives of those who encounter this truth. Father, for darkness has ruled long enough. May grace abound. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to bring you a message today entitled Frenemies. Frenemies. Anybody ever had a frenemy? Anybody ever made a friend into an enemy? How many are not going to raise your hand no matter what I ask this morning? We got a problem. Let me, how many of you have ever had a friend turn into an enemy? Let me see your hand. All right. So I want to deal with what turns friends into enemies today. Now, sometimes some offenses that happen in our life, you can go ahead and open your Bibles. You're going to need them. We're going to jump around a lot today. Uh, sometimes some offenses happen in our life and they're, they're, uh, you know that maybe somebody meant what they did. Then there's going to be those moments that things are unintentional. Okay. So some of you are going, Pastor Don, I understand that. I, uh, I feel like I, I, I trip into, uh, bad situations. Well, l- let me just show you my world for a moment. One day I'm up here preaching. I had a friend that hadn't been to church here in months and months and months. And matter of fact, I didn't even expect to see him that day. And, and, and I didn't know they were in the building and I'm preaching on something and it just happened to be what they were struggling with in their life. And I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know they were even in the room. And as I, I, I was talking about that sin, I said, you, you might be dealing with that sin. And it was right at them. And they never came back and said, well, he called us out from the pulpit. I said, no, sir, I did not. That was the Holy Ghost, okay? But the problem was it took a root, and it wasn't even intentional. See, sometimes we become equal opportunity offenders. We don't do it on purpose. We just woke up that morning. But sometimes, whether we meant it or not, we hurt the people we love, and a friend turns into an enemy. And I believe that God's going to speak to us through His Word today. Now, 2 Samuel chapter number 16, it starts us on a walk. I've shared it this way in the last service. One of my favorite places is Alaska. If you go to Alaska, if you want to see Denali, If you drive into Denali, you can see some beautiful views, but it's awfully hard to see Denali up close. The best place to see Mount Denali 
is a little town that is literally about two hours south of there. And this town is called Talkeetna, and some of you will remember it from the 80s uh, drama, uh, Northern Exposure, but Talkeetna. And so when you, when you, when you go into Talkeetna, you turn left, there's one main street there. And as you're on that main street going into Talkeetna, if you want to see Denali, most people go to the end of the road. And when you get to the end of the road, there before you can see a glimpse of Denali on a clear day. But if you really want to see Denali, you have to step over some logs walk through the sand, and when you go through a little bunch of trees and you come out on the riverbank there and there's beautiful sand there, you're going to find two things, okay? Almost every time we've ever been there, you're going to find two things. You're going to find a grizzly bear print, and it usually looks fresh. And so you're very alert. And the second thing is you're going to take a turn to your left, and Denali is going to open before you. And it's worth the walk. Trust me, it's worth the walk. Well, where we're going to go in this story today, if you just go as far as most people go, it's not, you're not going to find the beauty of what God's trying to tell us. But if you'll just go on the walk with me today, just go on this walk with me, I think that God's going to speak to your heart today. Second Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse number 23, reads like this. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the army of Israel arrived at Jerusalem, accompanied by Ahithophel. I had to look that one up to make sure I was saying that right. When David's friend Hushai, the archite, arrived, he immediately he went immediately to see Absalom and said, long live the king. Now, the meanwhile, at the start of this passage is what's happened is Absalom has, has started a military coup to take his father's throne. David and his whole family are escaping for their lives. And then we pick up in this story. And David has left a friend named Hushai behind. He says, look, confuse what's happening. Confuse the good advice with bad advice and give me time to escape with my life. And so Hushai has to impose himself into the story so that he can give the bad advice to Absalom. So he shows up and he says, long live the king. He exclaimed, long live the king. And Absalom's response is this. Is this the way you treat your friend David? Why aren't you with him? He said, I'm here because I belong to the man who is chosen by the Lord and by all the men of Israel. So he said, look, I believe this is God's plan, God's will. To which Hushai replied, and anyway, why shouldn't I serve you? Just as I was your father's advisor, now I will be your advisor. And then Absalom turns to Ahithophel. This is important to see what happens. And he asks him, what should I do next? So the man who would be king turns to Ahithophel, his trusted advisor, and says, what should I do next? And Ahithophel told him some very specific things to do. As a matter of fact, two specific things to do. He said, go and sleep with your father's concubines, for he has left them here to look after the palace. Then all of Israel will know that you have insulted your father, watch this, beyond hope of reconciliation. He says, I want you to go do something for which there's no hope that you can ever be restored. So that's the lie of the devil. The devil always wants to tell you there's no hope. But in Christ, even the bitterest of enemies can find a place at the altar. I watched a man who hated another man when we had revival break out in our church several years ago. Uh, during the worship time, I watched them go and join hands and run to the altar sobbing together. And I said, God is moving. So notice verse 22. 
This is important. You cannot get the truth without seeing this. So they set up a tent on the palace where? Roof. Where? Roof. Where everyone could see it. And Absalom went in and had sex with his father's concubines. It's really important to notice where. And Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice just as David had done. So Absalom, the man who is trying to take his father's throne, is using the counselor his father had trusted. Why? For every word Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. One translation says it this way. Ahithophel was the wisest man on the planet, which made me ask a question. If Ahithophel is the wisest man on the planet, what business does he have standing next to Absalom? What business does he have standing next to a rebellious young man? And I had to figure that out. I had to find out what turned Ahithophel from a friend into an enemy. You see, frenemy is an oxymoron that combines friend and enemy, and it tells us this. This refers to a person with whom one has been friendly despite a fundamental dislike or rivalry that has occurred over an offense. That somehow there's been an intentional or unintentional hurt. Now look, we're on a walk here. It's worth the walk. The view's worth it. Keep walking with me. Okay, when we were in Israel one time, our guide always said, we are walking, we are walking. So listen to me, we are walking here. Keep walking with me. So I found there are two ingredients that always are present when a friend turns into an enemy. There's hurt and bitterness. Hurt and bitterness. Before we can understand exactly what this has to do with our lives, we need to understand a little bit about Ahithophel. Ahithophel's name means the brother of foolishness. Ahithophel was considered to be the wisest man of his time, but interestingly enough, he is named, and all I could imagine was his older brother must have been a fool, and someone said the poor kid's going to have to be the brother of foolishness. And so he became determined to be the opposite of his brother. And so in his pursuit to become the opposite of his brother, which I understand, my, my brother, uh, my older brother who I love dearly, but as we were growing up, he always did things in such excess that I determined that I was going to be the opposite. He ate, when, when he ate ketchup, he ate the whole bottle. So I wouldn't eat ketchup. When he drank red Kool-Aid, I mean enough that his body is still permanently stained with the stuff, all right? Uh, uh, when he drank that, I wouldn't have anything to do with it. Why? I was determined to be different. I don't know why. There was nothing wrong with what he was doing. It was just I wanted to be different. Ahithophel wants to be different than his brother. And as he's on this quest for wisdom, it ultimately brings him to the place that he kills himself. So what happened? Well, you must understand that Ahithophel was the most trusted royal advisor to King David. First Chronicles chapter 27 says this. Jonathan, David's uncle, was a wise counselor to, to the king, a man of great insight and a scribe. Jehel the Hekite was responsible for teaching the king's sons. But notice this, Ahithophel was the royal advisor. Hushai, who we see in the story, was the king's best friend, and Ahithophel was the most trusted advisor. Verse 34 is key to the story. 
Ahithophel was succeeded by Jehoiada, the son of Benaiah, and Abathar. And Joab was the king's uh, commander of his army. But out of all of these people, only one of them changes jobs, and that's Ahithophel. The words are, he was succeeded by. Something happens between David and Ahithophel that is so bitter that Ahithophel says, I quit, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And when that happens, the pain is so great between them that, that Ahithophel goes home for a decade, doesn't come back, doesn't want to hear David's name for a decade. It hurt David so deeply. David was hurt so deeply that he penned Psalms chapter 55. And in Psalms 55, this is what David wrote of Ahithophel. He said, it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. And remember, this is worth the walk. Stay with me. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and my close friend. Watch this last verse. It blows my mind. He said, what good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. He says, you were my best friend. He said, I trusted you more than anybody, and we used to worship God together, and now it's like there's a wall between us. What turns a friend into an enemy? Well, we've got to understand something today. In our text today, we see that Ahithophel has returned on the scene as the man behind Absalom who is trying to take David's throne away. When he arrives on the scene, he has two clear pieces of advice. Here's what he says. He says, number one, you've got to publicly humiliate your father by having sex where? On the roof of the house. Why is that important? Hugely important. Hugely important. You've got to humiliate your father by having sex up on the roof of the house. And then he says, and the second thing is, then you're going to let me pursue him and I'm going to kill him. So you're going to give me 12,000 men, and I'm going to take his life. So something has happened that has left Ahithophel for 10 years wanting two things, to humiliate David by doing something publicly up on top of the roof, and then to have him killed. So what has happened that has turned Ahithophel, the king's best friend, into his worst enemy? Why has he been doing this? Well, to understand this, we've got to understand something about bitterness. That what turns a confidant into a traitor? Listen to me. There is always a reason people develop a bitter spirit. Always. Many times it's because they've been done wrong. Sometimes in your life, people are going to do you wrong and we want to think good of them. But sometimes people are going to intentionally do you wrong. And then there's going to be moments when they accidentally do you wrong. But the truth is you've still been wronged. No matter how accidental it was, you've still been wronged. And then there's a unmet and unspoken expectations. People will say to me, but you never did this. And I'm like, well, you never told me you wanted me to do that. And they went, you should have known. And I said, that's right. I have the gift of reading minds. Sometimes you don't even know what people are expecting. And another reason people get bitter is they want to blame somebody for their own failures. And it's, it's painful. But Pastor Don, what does this have to do with Ahithophel? 
The reason I'm telling you this is that Ahithophel had a good reason for being upset. He was justified in being angry. He had a reason to demand judgment and to understand why he had this reason. I've got to show you something in the Word that I want to make a connection for you that I had never seen before. 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is a whole other story, but listen to this story and see if you see some similarities in the story. 2 Samuel chapter 11 says, late one afternoon after his midday rest. Notice this. It's an afternoon during the time of year that David is resting in the rooftop bedroom that he has. He gets up out of bed and he walks out on the roof of the palace. Where is he? The roof. As he looks out over the city, stay with me now. As he looks out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told. Notice what he's told. She is the daughter of Eliam. The daughter of who? Eliam. And the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David says, oh, bring her to me. Where is David? He is resting not in the hot house. He is up on his summer time where the breeze is blowing bedroom up on the roof of the house and he has Bathsheba brought to him where he has, has, has intercourse with her there on the roof of the house. She conceives a child and when he finds out that she's conceived a child, he then has her husband murdered. Hold on a minute now. Wait, 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 wait a second. There's, there's something that happens on the roof of the house that ends up in somebody being killed. What were the two pieces of advice that he said? There's going to be, this is going to happen on the roof. We're going to humiliate him by having sex on the roof of the house, and then we're going to kill him. Why? Why? And so Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of, of, of Uriah, why and how does Ahithophel fit in this story? Well, to understand this, we have to go to 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 34. To understand what the word says, the word says, Eliaphet, son of Abishiah from Makkah, and Eliam, the son of Ahithophel. Oh my goodness. Now we know what the problem is. Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. Ahithophel is the father of Eliam, who was the father of Bathsheba. And we understand the problem now. Here's a man who from the moment that David was made king in Hebron, he has stood beside David. His son has risked his life for David. His son has been there when David just wanted a drink of water and they fought through a battle just so he could have a drink of water. His son has walked with him. His grandson-in-law is one of his greatest warriors. He's fought, risked his own life. And now that all of this that they've done for David, how does David repay him? He takes his granddaughter up on top of the roof and molest her, has sex with her, and then kills her husband. You have to understand the, what we're seeing here in this moment. That if anybody has a right to be upset, Ahithophel has the right to be angry. You repaid me like that? Out of all that I've done for you, you're going to insult me like that? You're going to humiliate my family by denigrating my granddaughter so everybody can see it? And then you have her husband killed? He makes up his mind right at that moment. What you did to me, 
we're going to do to you. And for 10 years, all he wants is revenge for what was done to him. I will humiliate you back and I will kill you. And for 10 years, he fumes and he plots and suddenly, as if it falls into his lap, 2 Samuel 15 tells us that Absalom sends word to Ahithophel and says, Ahithophel, I know you don't like my dad. I know my dad did you wrong. I know, listen to me carefully, I know that he didn't treat you the way that you deserve to be treated, and, and he didn't see your value. Why don't you come to me, Ahithophel? And Ahithophel, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 15, that he and Absalom get together, and the conspiracy, and one version says, grew strong. Finally, his time for revenge is here. Absalom looks at him and says, what do you want me to do? And watch what he says. He says, we're going to humiliate him publicly by sex on the roof, and then we're going to kill him. See, Absalom thought Ahithophel was working for his good, but when you've got a root of bitterness in your life, you're only working for your own. You will use and abuse people to try to inflict pain on the people that have hurt you. And so the problem is Ahithophel doesn't realize that bitterness is eating him like cancer. He has nursed his hurt for so long that every time his former team has a success, it waters down his dreams of revenge. Now, one sign that you are nurturing hurt, folks, is when you can't stand to see someone else succeed. If that neighbor that you can't stand suddenly gets a new promotion and there's a new car sitting outside in, you, in their yard and it's eating you alive, then I'm preaching to you. If you don't want to see your brother-in-law because of the house he bought your sister, oh, maybe I just need to stop meddling. You see, here's the problem. His bitterness prevented him from becoming better. The truth is David had wronged him. And at this very moment in the story, David is paying for his own crime. He's fleeing for his life. He's living under judgment. He's paying for his own crime. But David would not be overcome by this crime because here's what had happened. Ahithophel had went home. He, he was just bound in bitterness. He couldn't see what God had done for David. But when they came to David and they said, David, you are the man who sinned. You are the man who committed adultery. You are the man who, who had a murder committed. And you know what David did? He didn't lean back and go, who do you think you are? David tore his clothes, fell on his knees and said, you're right. I'm the man and I can't take it anymore. I've done wrong. And he throws himself on the, on the grace of God. And as the grace of God begins to flow into his life, he writes a song about the goodness and the grace of God about a man who had fallen. And he takes it down and he hands it to the chief guy. And he says, sing about this fallen man. And the chief guy, the chief worshiper says, I can't sing about that. That's about you. And he said, sing it across the land. Let everybody know that I was wrong, but God in his justice has given me grace. But the problem is Ahithophel can't know it because all he can see is his desire for revenge. Because bitterness will take a person who has been wronged and will cause them to become inflictors of wrong. I want you to stay with me here. Sometimes you want to lash out. Sometimes you want to strike back. Sometimes you want everybody to know you were the right one. Am I making sense to anybody? I just felt so. Can I, can I just share something real personal, your story? Um, 
I'm looking at a couple who, I think you'll know exactly where I'm going, I think you won't mind, who have been through hell. That ultimately, because of the actions of someone, cost your daughter her life. I'll never forget the day that this wonderful couple came to me with tears streaming down their face. They're growing in Jesus. And all of a sudden, they said, Pastor, I need to tell you, the guy that just walked through the door is the guy who killed my child. I've seen other instruments of grace. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And they wanted them to find Jesus the way they had found Jesus. You see, if they had let bitterness eat them alive, then bitterness would have consumed the moment. But when you found grace, there's something powerful about the moment. Second Samuel chapter 17. Here's the problem. Ahithophel has one plan and one plan only. Humiliate him and kill him. Humiliate him and kill him. Absalom listens to him and humiliates him. But then Absalom rejects the advice of Ahithophel and he takes Hushai's advice. And, and Ahithophel, the Bible says that after this happens, he's, he, he's so bitter that the problem comes. And he says, look, I'm going to kill him myself. Let me kill him. And he can't see the hope because watch this he's become so bitter he doesn't realize that his bitterness is extremely contagious grace is just as contagious but bitterness will destroy your life Hebrews chapter 12 verse number 15 says this it says look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. If you live bitter, your spouse will become bitter towards someone. If you live bitter towards someone, their friends will become bitter towards someone. If you live bitter towards someone, then your extended family will become bitter towards someone. People that are around you will become bitter. I had a problem the other day. I, I, I was venting about a business. I felt like it had done me wrong in the community. And as I vented about it, I, one young man heard me venting about it. And I saw him a few weeks later and he came up to me and said, Pastor, I want you to know I've refused to use that business ever since I heard you talking that day. And I said, what? He said, I refuse to use them because of what they've done to you. I said, I was just mouthing off. But my own negativity was contagious. And my negative, negativity, contagious, poisonous, seething was being spread. He said, I've told everybody I know, don't use them. I was ranting about it. My wife spoke to me just the way she can. She said, what do you want? Them out of business? And I said, stop preaching at me. <laughs> because here's the problem. When you allow bitterness to shape how you view somebody else, the Bible calls it you grow a root. And a roots are what feed you. Roots are what feed our souls, inform our minds, and fuel our motives. And if you're operating from a place of hurt, then you're letting bitterness take a place in your heart. That's not God's plan. So in 2 Samuel, we see Ahithophel 
is now a broken man. Absalom has done the same thing as his father. He betrayed his trust because Absalom has agreed with Hushai. And so the Bible tells us that Ahithophel goes home, he, he puts everything in order, and then he kills himself. And I've always heard this story preached this way, that the reason he killed himself was almost like the Japanese, when they're dishonored, then they would, then they would kill themselves when they lose a battle or whatever. I've always heard that story preached that way, but that has nothing to do with the way that story is preached. Because here's the reason that Ahithophel kills himself. Listen to me carefully. He kills himself because he recognizes he's the wisest man on the planet and he knows that the wisest thing for David to do, and he doesn't even know that David's operating from a place of grace, but the wisest thing for David to do is to forgive everybody who rose up against him because if he forgives them, then the whole kingdom will be reunited. And Ahithophel says this, I could stand his judgment but I won't let him give me grace. Because if I let him give me grace, then this bitterness that I have toward him won't have a place to grow anymore. And this bitterness had become the fuel of his life. Now listen to me carefully. I'm trying to end this, but here's the problem. Pastor Don, this is an ancient story, but I told you the view's worth the walk because when we see something, that, that, that there, here's this guy who ends, up, who ends up because of his bitterness causing a fight between Absalom and David. 20,000 other people die because bitterness is contagious. 20,000 people die. He can't, can't get grace because he can't, he can't offer grace. And here's the problem. I'm standing in front of people. There are people watching people listening. You need God's forgiveness to flood your soul. But somebody really did you wrong. A parent who should have protected you hurt you. A friend that you thought you could trust, you couldn't. Somebody may have even done it unintentionally. Somebody may have been intentional. Somebody may have harmed you in the deepest and most secret ways and you don't know how to get free, but you're determined two things. This is never going to happen again and this is, this is the way I'm going to live my life. And you've got your same two things that have been fueling your soul, but here's the problem. You must offer grace because who are we not to offer grace? Do I have to forgive them for what they did? I'm not telling you to track them down and look them in the eye. What I'm telling you is stop letting them have the pain that had been torn into your life be a place for a bitter root to grow. Instead, there's a way to let grace come in and kill the bitter root so that you can start living again. Because you must forgive to have a better future. Now how am I going to forgive to have a better future? All I can see is how you've wronged me. If all you can see is how they've wronged you, you are bitter. But watch this. In the Bible, there's only one place that bitter is made better, that we can find a formula. And here's the formula. There's this bitter waters called uh, Meribah, and the bitter, bitter waters, they throw a stick in the water, and suddenly when they get their eyes on the stick in the water, watch this, all of a sudden the water becomes better. So it tells me what I need. Our series is called Sticks and Stones, and what I need is a stick to focus on. Because when I see the cross... 
And I think about all you've done to me and all this one's done to me and all that one's done to me. And I think, and you, maybe you think about what I've done to you or you're thinking about somebody who's caused you pain and somebody who's caused you faults and struggles and problems, but you lift up your eyes and instead of keeping your eyes on all the things you could be bitter about, instead you realize that on that cross hangs your sins and on that cross he was nailed there for what you did. And on that cross, who am I not to forgive what happened in my life because of what he's forgiven me? And he makes me better. Because I have had a lot of reasons to grow bitter. I haven't shared this in years. I'm going to share it as you stand for closing today. Somebody came to me one time and they said, Pastor, how, do you, how did you become a pastor? I said, what do you mean? They said, you're a preacher's kid. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, didn't you grow up with, 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 with the same pains I did, this person doing this to your parents and this person doing this to your parents? I said, buddy, they didn't only do it to my parents. I have been thrown into corners and physically abused by people in church who were afraid to tell my dad something. I've been hurt on every side. I've been screamed at by, by adults when I was an, almost just a little child. I understand pain. I get that. But if we're going to live in hurt, we have to realize hurting people hurt people. So instead, I figured, instead of focusing on all the ways they hurt us, I'd lift up my eyes to the one who hasn't hurt me. He's done nothing but help me. And the more I lift my eyes up on Jesus, the greater things change in my life. And I'm able to operate not from a place of pain, but I'm able to operate from a place to declare that the same God who's brought this boy through can bring you through and you can be healed and you can be delivered and you can make it. Ahithophel had every right to demand justice, but he had no right to feed bitterness. It's time for you to get better by the blood of Jesus. Bow your heads with me in this place. You see, when we look at the story, most of us focus on Absalom. Don't be an Absalom. Don't be rebellious. But we don't understand that there's more to the story. There's a rebellious young man who's being fueled by the bitterness of an older man. Don't let family curses ruin your life today. Be free by the blood of Jesus. Be free. There are people in this room right now that would say, Pastor, I need God to heal me. And I'm willing to look on the cross for the answers. If that's you, I want to see your hand right where you are. Get it up as quick as you can. Literally hands springing up all over this place. Wow. God's talking to us today. You shall be well. I declare with the same authority that he stood before the tomb of Lazarus that, that, that he is the resurrection and the life. And though it may seem that your hope is dead, that if you believe in him, the resurrection is yours to receive yet even now. The bitterness will be replaced with a root of grace. Every hand down for just a second. Every head bowed one more moment. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, maybe you were the offender or maybe you were the offended. But either way around, you've never really surrendered your heart. And maybe that problem is what kept you from doing it, but you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ and looked upon the cross so that God could heal you and save your soul. And today, you want Jesus to make you clean. 
Maybe I'm speaking to people, this is the first time you prayed, and some people it's going to be a, a point of rededication, but maybe this is your moment, this is your time, and you would say with me, Pastor, I want to give my life completely and wholly to Jesus today, either for the first time or for a point of rededication. If that's you, I want to see your hand right where you are. Get it up high. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Is there, are there others who join with these nine? This is your day. This is your time. This is your day. All right. Put those hands down. I don't always ask you to do this, but today, if you're comfortable, reach over. and You don't have to cross aisles, but just grab the hand of someone right there beside you, if there's somebody beside you. We're going to confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we're going to believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and these nine are going to experience the new life of Jesus Christ today. Maybe you're watching. I feel distinctly drawn to those today that are watching and listening. This is your moment. Bitterness has kept you out of God's house. God brought you to this message today. It's time for you to get well. It's time for you to be whole. Church, I want you to help me pray with all of these that have raised their hand today, and then I'm going to pray for the many who responded needing the grace of God. But let's pray with these as they confess with their mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. And pray with me now. Jesus, by faith, I confess I am a sinner in need of a Savior. From this moment forward, I receive your grace, and now I declare my faith is in Jesus. Heavenly Father, I receive your forgiveness. From this moment forward, God is my Father, heaven is my home, and Jesus is my Savior. Father, I thank you for those that are beginning this journey today. Lord, and for those many, many, many who said there's a bitter root in my life, I thank you, Lord, that grace becomes what severs the root and grace is more invasive and will overtake them and will flow through them by the power of the Holy Spirit and the victory of Christ. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at Warhill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now.